I'm Chad Roberts, and I'm so glad you're joining me on today's episode of Awakened to Grace. We are in part two of our series on grace and truth, and today we are going to deep dive more so on the topic of grace in this sermon, What's So Amazing About Grace? We're going to see what Paul meant when he writes, Where sin increases... Grace abounds all the more. I hope that by the end of this sermon, I hope that you are even more so amazed at the rich grace of God over your life and my life. If you haven't downloaded our free mobile app, I want to encourage you to jump on the App Store or Google Play and search Awakened to Grace and download our free mobile app today. Well, let's take our Bibles. Let's go to Romans chapter 5. We're going to study verses 20 and 21, and we are going to be amazed at the grace of God in today's episode. I hope you enjoy. Let's go to Romans chapter 5, verse 20 and 21. Romans chapter 5. Last week, I introduced a new and a short series called Grace and Truth. We were in John 1, 14 last Sunday, and we saw that Jesus was filled with grace and truth. We saw that Jesus was not 50% grace, 50% truth. He was not at some times grace and then in other circumstances, truth. No, Jesus was always 100% grace, 100% truth. We talked about how Christ-likeness is being filled with grace and truth. That when Jesus lives within us, when we live out the principles of his word, when the Holy Spirit is active in our life, we too will be filled with grace and truth. We won't just be heavy on grace and lacking in truth, and we won't be heavy in truth and lacking in grace, but like Jesus, we will be all grace, all truth. Today, I want to drill down on the idea of grace. We said last week that God introduced grace to the world through the Lord Jesus Christ. And today, I want to explore more so what grace is in our lives. I want to talk about why grace is the greatest need of humanity. I want to talk about why God can give all grace to my life and your life. I want to talk about how rich he is, how abundant he is, how able God is to give grace to each of us, no matter who we are or where we've been, or what has happened in our lives, God has the ability to give us grace. Just as our atmosphere, God has made it rich with oxygen, God has made the age that you and I live rich with His grace. John Stott, that great man of God, he gave the greatest definition that I've heard of grace. We know that grace is God giving us what we do not deserve, but Listen to John Stott's definition of grace as we get ready to read the word. 
John Stott said that grace is God stooping down to rescue. I love that definition. And at the end today, I'm going to explain to you why that definition means so much to my heart. Romans chapter 5, verse number 20. Notice with me it says, Now the law came in to increase the trespass. Where sin increases, grace abounds all the more. What a wonderful statement. Where sin did increase, grace did all the more abound. It increased all the more. Verse 21. So as sin reigned through death, grace reigns in righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. I want to talk to you about the incredible, the astounding, the amazing grace of God. In 1772, a baby boy was born into the world that this young man would leave a mark upon the world that we feel even to this day. John Newton was born an only child to a very godly mother and a very wicked father. John Newton was born in 1772 and his mother prayed fervently for him. She taught him from a young age that God loved him, that God wanted to rescue and save him. But John's mother died before he turned 11 years old. Reeling from his mother's death, his father was a sailor. And his father took him at the age of 11 and began to sail the seven seas. The young boy began to imitate the ways of his father that were very wicked, but God had given him a very unique ability to write music. And so as a young teenager, John Newton would write what we'll call colorful songs for the sailors, things we couldn't repeat in here, but he was gifted. But as he got older, his wickedness increased. And John eventually joined the slave trade. And John began to sail from England down into Africa. And John Newton would rip families apart. He would capture husbands. He would capture wives and even children. He would put them on these English ships in absolutely horrendous conditions and capture them as slaves, and he would take them and trade them as cargo. What a wicked and a wretched man John Newton was. But God got his attention on the night of March 10th, 1748. March the 10th, 1748, God sent a storm to the Atlantic Ocean unlike any other. And with a ship full of slaves, John Newton knew that was the night he was going to die. Surely the ship was going to break apart in the middle of the ocean and they were all going to drown. 
And John Newton stared death in the face. But that night, the words of his mother rang in his ears that God loved him and that God would save him and rescue him. At the age of 23, John Newton called upon the name of the Lord that night and God did save him. An hour later, the clouds parted, the wind stopped, the seas calmed, and God had rescued John Newton, but not just physically that night. God had saved his soul from sin. When Newton got home, back to England, he left the slave trade. And for the rest of his life, he fought to abolish slavery. John Newton surrendered his life to become a minister of the grace of God. And that was in 1748. Fast forward, he became a remarkable pastor. He happened to move beside. He was next door neighbors to another man named William Cowper. Actually, it's pronounced Cooper, but it's spelled Cowper. William Cowper was a phenomenal hymn writer. Gave us the hymn, There is a fountain filled with blood, drawn from Emmanuel's veins. Sinners plunge beneath that flood, lose all their guilty stains. Cooper and Newton were next door neighbors, and they got together, and they formed a hymn book called The Hymns of Onley where they lived, and that would go on to change the world. In 1772, this former slave trader, this man who was so wicked that he would rip families apart and sell them, this man wrote the song, Amazing Grace, and changed the world forever. Will you just sing it with me? Can we sing it to the glory of God? And as we sing these lyrics, you think of Newton, a slave trader, a wicked man who God forever changed. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. That said, a wretch like me, I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Twas grace that taught my heart to fear. And grace, my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear? The hour. I 
first believe. John Newton would not only influence all of England, he would influence a young man by the name of William Wilberforce. If you've never read William Wilberforce's life, you should read it. They made a movie of his life a little over 10 years ago called Amazing Grace. It's a phenomenal movie. William wrestled with either becoming a pastor or continuing to serve in the parliament in England. And it was the older and the wiser John Newton who told him, stay where you are in the parliament and fight the slave trade. Newton would not live to see slave trade abolished in England, but William did. Right before Wilberforce died, England abolished the slave trade to the glory of God. John Newton was a remarkable pastor. And in his older years, he became completely blind. And as his mind began to slip in his old age and he suffered from dementia, among his very last words, listen to what he said. John Newton, that great pastor, that great author, that great hymn writer. John Newton said, this I recall to mind, that I was a great sinner, but Christ is a great Savior. Amen. Amen. John Newton lived his entire life amazed at the grace of God. Do we? Are we as astonished at God's amazing grace as we should be? Let's explore what God's grace is today. Romans chapter 5. Notice the first phrase that Paul is going to teach us. Now, sin increases. The law came in to increase the trespass and sin increases. What's Paul mean by this? If you're going to take notes today, I want you to note this number one. The law was never given to save anyone from their sins. The law is given instead to reveal our sins. The law shows us our sin. The law is meant to show us that we do not measure up in the eyes of God. So what that means are those who think, well, I'm a good person and therefore I'm going to be okay before God. The law says you won't. For those who say, as long as I have more good deeds outweigh my bad deeds, then I'll be okay. The law says no. The person who says, as long as there are other people worse than me, then I'll be okay. The law says no. The law came that it might reveal our sin. And so what the law does is it actually increases our sin. Jesus said, it's not whether you commit adultery or not. Jesus said, if you look upon another person with lust, you have committed adultery within your heart. See how that increases our sin? Jesus said it's not whether you've murdered someone physically. The Bible says that if you have anger and bitterness in your heart, you have murdered that person. The law increases our sin. 
And scripture says that where sin did increase, here is the good gospel news. The good gospel news is that God's grace increases all the more. God's grace is more abounding than even our sin is. But first we have to understand. See, you must understand, excuse me, you must understand the bad news before you really can receive the good news. You have to understand the calamity that sin truly is before you can receive the life that the gospel really offers. And you and I have to understand sin does not equal bad. Sin equals death. And as Paul says in the next verse, sin reigned in death. Why? Romans chapter 6 verse 23. For the wages of sin is what? Death. But the gift of God is eternal life. Sin reigned in death, but grace reigns in righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. But why did sin increase? Because of the law. The law increases sin. So if you're someone that you live your life by the law, in other words, I'm good enough. I'm not as bad as other people. I'll be okay. I feel good about my chances. Friends, the law reveals. It teaches us. It shows us the depths of sin. It shows us the reality of sin. It defines sin for us. Years ago in the United States of America, there used to not be speed limit laws, right? Horse and buggy, you could go as fast as you wanted to go. But as automobiles came along, what happened? Laws began to be put on the books. Laws began to be enacted. And now the speed limit reveals. It shows us. And you go beyond that, you break the law. Every one of us have broken the laws of God. Every single one of us. And what the law does, it comes to reveal that. Why does the law reveal our sin? Because only Jesus Christ, who is filled with grace and truth, can remove our sin. The law comes to reveal it. Christ comes to remove it. Why? Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Amen. Where sin did abound... Where sin did increase, grace did much more abound. What's that mean? The word abound here is a beautiful word in the New Testament. You know what the word actually means? The picture is of a river that is overflowing its banks. (laughs) The picture is of a large river that's swelling over its banks. The word here actually means super It is a super abundance. It is overflowing. Here is the word picture in the Greek. What it means is where there are waves of sin, there are greater waves of grace. Amen. So you might be a person this morning, you may be watching online where you say, Chad, if you knew who I was, if you knew the sins of my past, if you knew the things, if you knew where I come from, you wouldn't agree that grace would, no, my friend, You don't know the Bible. 
Listen to the good gospel news. Where there are waves of sin, where sin has increased in your life, the gospel is there are greater waves of grace. There is more grace than there is sin in your past. Amen? And where the law reveals it, Christ removes it to the glory of God. But you got to see the bad news before you can truly receive the good news. And the good news is you're not too far gone. The good news is that it doesn't matter what your past is compared to grace. Grace is greater. It doesn't matter what your mistakes are compared to grace. Grace is greater. It doesn't matter what your sins are compared to grace. God's grace is greater. For where sin did increase, grace abounded. Waves upon waves upon waves of grace. Where sin did increase, grace did abound all the more. And my friend, you are not greater than God. And your faults are not greater than God. And your past is not greater than God. And your sins are not greater than God. Grace is greater. Now look at the next verse. So, here's the conclusion. Just as sin reigned in death. Sin reigned in death. Why? Because the wages of sin is death. As sin reigned in death. Grace reigns in righteousness. Let's really understand this verse today. Why does sin reign in death? Perhaps you've wondered before, why does God judge all mankind based upon sin? Why why is there sin? Well, see, Romans 5 explains so much. You should sit down and you should just spend some time. Just read Romans 5 as slow as you can read it. Just read it slowly, all of it. And see what he explains, I believe, in verses 10, 11, 12, and 13. What, what Paul is going to explain, really even before that, he says, uh, I can't remember the exact verse offhand, but he says that God showed his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. But why were we sinners? Paul explains it. Paul tells us. Because through Adam, through one man, the first man, Adam, through his disobedience, sin spread to all mankind. And through his disobedience, what are the wages of sin? Death. Death has spread to all mankind. See, right now, it's so exciting because we got got a bunch of babies being born in this church. You know that? Yeah, it's, it's a blessing. I wonder if... I wonder if the lockdowns had anything to do with that. I don't know. We'll call them lockdown babies, right? But you know, when a baby's born, see, again, let's understand the gospel. A baby is not going to grow older and then become a sinner when a baby commits his or her first sin. When is that? Is that the age of two? Is that the age of five? Is that the age of nine? Is that the age of 12? No, that's not the question. Because a child does not become a sinner when he or she commits 
his or her first sin. It's reversed. That child is born a sinner. We don't become sinners when we sin. We sin because we are born sinners. Why are we all born sinners? Because the first man, Adam, out of his disobedience, sin spread to all mankind. It's in our very DNA, you see? But what's Paul teach? But through one man's obedience, (laughs) the second Adam, through the obedience of Jesus Christ, that he was obedient to the point of death, the death of the cross, amen? Salvation has now come to all mankind that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Oh, the glorious grace of God. Amen. And this is why through one man's disobedience, Adam, sin and death spread to all mankind. But now through one man, Jesus Christ, salvation can come to all men. That is why verse 21 makes sense. That So as sin reigned in death, that's through the first man, Adam. Now, grace might reign in righteousness leading to, not death, eternal life. Do you know what the difference is, my friend? If you're born once, when you came from your mother's womb and you were born into this very hostile and sinful world. If you're born once, the Bible teaches you're going to die twice. You'll die a physical, natural death. But see, you'll die what the Bible calls the second death. You'll be forever separated from the presence, the grace, and the love of God Almighty. But do you know what the Bible teaches? If you're born twice... Lord, open the ears of the Nicodemuses in Jesus' name. If you're born twice, if you're born of your flesh, you're born of your mother's womb, but then you're born again by the Spirit of God. Grace enters into your life. Your sins are forgiven by the blood of Christ. The Holy Spirit indwells you. If you're born twice, you'll only die once. Only once. And that's the physical death. And you know what the good news is of that? To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Amen? The last enemy to be destroyed is death. And Christ has put death under his feet to the glory of God. Amen? That's the gospel. That's the gospel. Praise God today. Praise God. So as sin reigned in death, The wages of sin is death. Sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. Now, for those who hope in Christ, for those who trust Jesus for the salvation of their souls, for those who have tasted and seen the grace of God, now grace reigns, leading to eternal life. So how do you receive such eternal life? How does that come to us? Let's unfold this just a bit. It says in righteousness. Now let's, let's back up for a moment. Look at verse 1 of Romans 5. Look at verse 1. Verses 1 and 2. And I want us to link righteousness in verse 21. I want us to link that 
to verses 1 and 2. Notice verse 1 says, Now, therefore, we are justified by faith. If you don't know what the biblical word justification means, let's take some notes because this, this is worth you understanding and memorizing. The Bible word, what a beautiful biblical word, the word justification, to be justified by faith. This is literally what it means. It means to be declared by God Almighty, not guilty, but righteous. Now, why is that so important? Go back to verse 20. The law reveals sin. See, each and every one of us, everyone breathing oxygen right now at this second, everyone with a beating heart, with a pulse and breathing in your lungs, you and I will stand before God Almighty. The Bible says in Hebrews 9, 27, it is appointed unto man to die once. And after this, the judgment. I believe what that verse means, to die once, I believe that means you and I have one opportunity to die right with God. If you're listening to my voice today and you are not right with God, friend, you better be getting right with God because you will have one chance and one chance only to die right with God. There are no redos. There are not doing it over again. You have one chance to die right. It is appointed. There is a date. There is a calendar day for you to breathe your last. And you have one opportunity to die once and after this, the judgment. See, you and I will stand before a holy and a righteous God. And the question on that day is what will happen with your sin? And what happens with your sin and what happens with my sin determines what happens with us. And here is the gospel news. That for those of us that the law, we see our sin. It's revealed our sin. And we have given our sin over to Jesus. We have trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of our sin. Do you know what the good gospel news is? Is that the righteous judge, God Almighty, has declared us not guilty. (laughs) That's what it means to be justified. It means that our sin has gone before Jesus Christ and he absorbed our sin on the cross of Calvary. That means that Jesus himself bore our sin and it means that the Father, that God Almighty, has declared believing sinners not guilty. You know what happens When that realization comes into our life, you know what happens when we're declared not guilty by God? Look at the next result. And having peace with God. Having peace with God. See, friends, so many people today, they want peace from God. They get in trouble. They need help. Their life falls apart. Their life is in shambles. It's in ruins. And then all of a sudden, we want peace from God. But friends, understand, you must first have peace with God 
before you can ever receive peace from God. And what does it mean to have peace with God? It means that all of your sins are forgiven. It means that you are reconciled to the heart of God. It means that you who once were an enemy, you who were hostile, you who were undone, and without Jesus, you have now been brought near to the Father, and you've been restored and forgiven and declared a child of God. Now, you know what the gospel is? See, when that kind of grace is working in our life, we're declared not guilty by God, we're justified of all sin, then the peace of God comes into our hearts. Then we walk with the peace of God. Then we, have, we can receive that peace that surpasses all understanding. But understand this, you cannot come to God for peace if you've not made Him Lord and Savior. If you've not yielded to His Spirit, if you have not surrendered your life today, do you have peace with God? That's my question. Do you have peace with God? Once that happens, then the peace from God will fill your heart and your life. Now, watch what happens next. Verse number two. When we've been justified by faith, when the peace of God comes into our lives, then look what Paul says. Then we have access. Oh, I want you to... Hebrews calls it the throne of grace. We can approach the throne of grace boldly and find help in our time of need. Amen? Do you see what grace does for us? Do you see what righteousness does for us? And I want you to see this. This is so beautiful. This is my favorite part of the whole text. When I am justified by faith, I'm declared not guilty as a believing sinner. I'm pardoned by the grace of God. When I, when that faith declares me not guilty and I'm justified, then peace comes into my life. And then I'm at peace with God and therefore I've got peace from God. Then I have access to approach God. Then I can call on his name. Then I can find grace and help and mercy in the time of my trouble. And then look what Paul says. This grace by which we stand. Do you know why I love the way Paul writes that? Now again, let's link it. Link verse 2. The grace by which we stand. To what grace is producing in our life that leads to eternal life in verse 21. Righteousness. For do you know what righteousness truly means? When Adam and Eve sinned, our first parents, what did they do? They hid from God, didn't they? They cowered. They hid. But do you know what righteousness does? It literally means to stand upright before God. And going back to that definition of John Stott, I love grace is that God stooped down and rescued. Why did God stoop down? So that you and I may stand upright. So that you and I can stand before a God and not be condemned and not be put to shame, but be rescued and be saved and filled with the Holy Spirit. 
That's why God stooped down. To give us his grace. And it's that grace by which we stand as we have access with God. And why is there access with God? Because there's peace from God. Why is there peace with God? Because there's justification by faith. And what brings the justification by faith? The rich, the abundant, the super, the overflowing, the waves upon waves, grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And while most of the world is hurtling toward death, we who are justified, we who are born again, we who are spared, we who are saved, we are being led to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Does grace amaze you? It should, because it's what saved you. Let's bow our heads today. Are you here today lacking the grace of God? Are you watching online and you know you're without God's grace? In the book of Titus, it teaches, chapter 2, grace has now appeared before all men. Grace is for you. It's for you. And Satan would tell you, no, you're too far gone. You've done too much. It's for everyone but you. What a liar he is. Today, I don't care what age you are. I don't care what past you have. God's grace is here and it's now. And it's for the taking. It's for the breathing in. All over today, in the building and online, I want you to pray with me right now if you're in need of grace. I want you to pray with me right now. Right now, let nothing stop you. Let nothing hinder you. Lord Jesus Christ, pray it with me right now. Lord Jesus Christ, I am a sinner and I need a Savior. Rescue me now. I repent of all sin and I receive you as Lord hallelujah I give my life to you and I will live and I will stand upright in the grace of God thank you for your gift Thank you for grace. I receive it today. 